This is Soccer City, the weekly program that comes to you in three parts. Soccer on the block. Uh, we've got our correspondent Kwame King out on a Friday night in the city to watch some soccer. And he spoke to several youth players in a wonderful arena to promote health and safety. We've got our global segment today, part two of my conversation with Garth Crooks. He's a former professional with Tottenham Hotspur and a black man who helped break the color barrier across the pond. Kicking off the show is the third piece of the Soccer City pie, the New York City Football Club of Major League Soccer. They did suffer their first loss of the season on Sunday. They'll return back home to Yankee Stadium this Sunday to play FC Dallas. Dallas and Fox Sports play-by-play guy Mark Followill, he'll be on to help me preview that match. On Friday, there was a major announcement out of London. Arsene Wenger's 22nd season as manager of the Arsenal Football Club will be his last. Naturally, among the list of candidates to succeed Wenger is the head coach at New York City, the Arsenal legend Patrick Vieira. And after his training session in Portland on Friday, I had this exclusive chat with the New York City coach. Earlier this morning, Arsene Wenger announced that uh, he would be uh, ending his uh, coaching career at Arsenal after 22 years. I'm just curious, Patrick, uh, you spent a lot of time with him, what your initial reaction was to the news, and do you feel it's nice that he'll be getting a proper send-off? Yeah, I think it's always a surprise because, you know, when we're talking about Arsenal Football Club, we're always talking about Arsene because he's the one who, uh, especially in the last 22 years, um, was a figure of, of Arsenal Football Club. So it is. A, I think it is a sad day for, for the Arsenal Football Club because somebody who gives a lot to this football club uh, leaving um, he's sad, and um, and you know we, and I personally wish him uh, wish him all the best, and uh, and at the same time uh, thanks him for for what uh, he gave me as a, as a player. Now you knew him before you arrived at Arsenal. You'd played against him, and uh, I remember the uh, from your book the time you s- spent in the stands at San Siro with him, getting to know him personally a little bit. What drew you to him? And, and what was his impact on you as a player? Because he, he, he knew me really well. He's been following me for years and he was talking to me the way that make me really exciting about what he can, where he can take me. Uh, he knew perfectly about my strength and my weakness. And, um, and I think that, what, that, is, that is what really pushed me to go to Arsenal because I know I said to myself, this guy really know me and he can maybe take me where I want to go. And, uh, and working with him for nine years has been, um, been fantastic. Uh, you know, I, I was at Arsenal when I was 19, 20 years old and I left when I was 29. I get there when I was a kid and I left as a, as a man and a, as a better football player and, and as a better person as well. So it really helped me to grow as a player, but as a human being, as a good person. And, and he was one of the first, if not the first, foreign coach to come in and have uh, real success in England. What was his impact on the game in England? He changed, he changed everything um, at Arsenal. Uh, he changed the way that players in general, including myself, conducted ourselves off the field. What we are eating, uh, what we are drinking, uh, how we do our stretching. Uh, I think he make us understand that if we wanted to play at the higher level for the next 10, 15 years, there's a way that we needed to conduct ourselves. And, and he, sh- he explained to us how 
professional that we needed to be to be a top football player. So I think that was a massive help for young players like myself, but it was a massive help for um, the English guys who was at Arsenal at that time. Finally, uh, your name is being mentioned as a, a possible successor, and there's even a report that Wenger has endorsed you. What is your reaction to all this talk? Always flattering. I, um, I'm always uh, flattering to, to hurt my name's link with different football clubs because that is that is uh, that is good for your egos I will say it. <laughs> but at the same time um, you know uh, I'm happy here um, of course spending nine years at Arsenal make this club really special for me because uh, because of the, the quality of time that I had over there the relationship that I had with the fans but um, that's not of course that's not enough to pretend of, of uh, going there and coaching the team. Um, you know, I just uh, enjoyed myself, happy where I am, and we will see what will happen in the next couple of, uh, couple of years. NYCFC coach Patrick Vieira, whose side lost for the first time in 2018, a 3 to nothing defeat at Portland. Last time New York City was held scoreless, it was also against Portland last September the 9th at Yankee Stadium. On Sunday at Providence Park, we'll never know if ex-Timbers forward Roddy Wallace would have been cheered if he finished a first-half header inside the six-yard box against his former teammates, but the NYC winger received a warm, enthusiastic ovation from the 21,000-plus when he was replaced in the 70th minute. Yeah, it was nice. It's, uh, you know, it's a place that I always hold uh, close to my heart, so being back here was uh, very special and, uh, you know, getting... So much love from the supporters, uh, you know, it was great uh, just because, you know, I feel the I feel the same way towards them just because of, uh, you know, all the years that I've been here. In five seasons with the Timbers, Wallace converted 16 goals, including the decisive score to win the 2015 MLS Cup championship. Next up for Wallace and New York City, the league's only team without a loss now after the NYC defeat, that's FC Dallas. And time to welcome in the television play-by-play voice for FC Dallas to look ahead to this game on the weekend, Mark Followell. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Glenn, good to talk to you as always. How are you today? Awesome. I, I think before we get into the current FC Dallas squad, we, we have to go back to last year because this, and I've never talked to you about this, but th- this had to be, if not the biggest, one of the biggest collapses in MLS history. But if we just look at the, the recent history, Supporter Shield winners in 2016, FC Dallas, U.S. Open Cup winners in the same year, tied for the most points in 2015. They lost out on the Supporter Shield over a tiebreaker. And in 2017, last year, FC Dallas in first place in late July. They missed the playoffs. What happened? You know, when you have something of a collapse that is that significant, that pervasive over that long of a period of time, there's no one easy answer I can give you to that. I would say it's a combination of things occurred. The degree of which each individual thing impacted, I guess, probably is a matter of one's own perception. So some of the things that I would point to would be, number one, I think they, in large part, ran out of gas. Last year, FC Dallas put a tremendous amount of energy into playing well at the beginning of the year because they wanted to do well and try to be that ever-elusive first club to win CONCACAF Champions League. So before the season even started last year, FC Dallas went to Argentina to train 
they played a lot of matches with Argentinian clubs. I mean, they were playing five matches across six days in a stretch down there at one point. So I think that, uh, number one, the amount of energy that they put into playing well at the beginning of the year, uh, I think ground them down. Oscar, by his own admission, then for reasons that, that he would be the only one who could really give an honest answer to, and he said he shouldn't have done it this way, but he didn't trust enough young players to put in the lineup and continue to stay with the tired veterans because there was more trust there. So I think that was another part of the equation. You know what's interesting about that, though, Mark, if I could interrupt, is that Pereja is one of those guys that play the younger guys. There's a yeah, and that's what's so weird about it. I mean, I mean, that's why Oscar, by his own admission, has said in the aftermath, "I made a mistake," and you know, he ventured away from something that really is a core philosophy for Oscar. If you ever talk to him, tell stories about being 17 years old and a manager putting him in to start, and he said, "I, I can't believe you're doing this. I'm only 17 years old." And the manager told him, "Don't worry about it. Who cares what how old you are? You can play. Go play." So. The fact that Oscar deviated from something that's really been something that's, uh, you know, been a big aspect of his belief system is a bit peculiar in how it all played out last year. Now, one thing you left out, which was discussed, Rudy and Michael Barrios, there were transfer rumors during that mm-hmm. uh, summer window. Uh, was that a distraction? I think probably to some degree. I mean, you will get different answers from different people depending on whom you ask. And there are some who believe it was. There are others who believe that that, uh, maybe there wasn't as much of a deal in terms of distraction as some are making it out to be. And, and, you know, Barrios apparently never really had any interest in going anywhere else. Um, You know, and I think that Arudi was a little bit more intrigued by other opportunities elsewhere after having been in the league for the amount of time that he's been in the league going back to 2013. But now he's signed a new three-year contract with FC Dallas as of a few weeks ago. Uh, what is your analysis of FC Dallas thus far? They're coming off a very impressive win over Philadelphia, 2-0. Whatever you think about Philadelphia, what I saw was Arudi, Barrios, Tesho Akindale, and Carlos Gruezo, who I love. Uh, they're on the bench at the start of the game. Yeah, well, I think part of what's going on this year is Oscar's doing a little bit of experimenting. And learning through time now in Major League Soccer that how you start doesn't necessarily dictate how you'll finish. We've seen that with a lot of clubs who, in Nesta Dallas's case, have started well and faltered, and clubs who have faltered at the beginning and then recover and end up being a, a, a supporter shield or, or, more significantly, an MLS Cup winner. When you look at uh, Seattle two years ago being the, the prime example of that. I think he's mindful of maybe trying not to burn guys out and play them too much early in the year. And Oscar's like any coach, Glenn, he loves competition. And he wants competition within the, within the team. And whenever a guy like Max Rudy was in poor goal-scoring form for the last 10 games last year and only has one so far this year, then changing things up and bringing him off the bench uh, happened to produce a result uh, in terms of not just for the team but for Rudy scoring a goal the other night. I think they're trying to, to, to use a golf analogy, make sure they have the ability to hit a lot of different clubs in their bag. And so I think they're trying to play different ways rather than just play the conventional FC Dallas, 4 2 three, one. That's Mark Followell. If you're an NBA fan, you may have heard Mark do Dallas Mavericks broadcast, but he'll be on the FC Dallas call against New York City FC this weekend. Garth Crooks is a former England footballer, over 300 professional appearances, a majority of those with Stoke City and Tottenham Hotspur. He's a black man who played at a time, the late 70s and early 80s, when racism in the game was rampant. Last week, we addressed the impact of the late Cyril Regis. This week, the Rooney Rule and also the World Cup in Russia. 
The Rooney Rule, named after Pittsburgh Steelers owner Dan Rooney, who was chairman of the NFL's diversity committee. The Rooney Rule striving for greater equality in the hiring process of the NFL and implemented recently by the EPL. And that's where we start. Part two of my conversation with Garth Crooks. Are you seeing any impact uh, with... uh with maybe friends that you know or or anyone that you know that might be getting an opportunity, getting an interview when previously they may not have? Yes, um, absolutely. The Rooney Rule has raised the profile and the issue. And it's very, very important. The Rooney Rule, as you know, insists that a, a, a minority coach is interviewed, can't guarantee him the job. Um, but nevertheless, we all know when we go for interviews, Depending on your performance, you can influence a situation and turn a situation around. It's not, it's not the, the be-all and end-all, but, but it is part of the process. Not the beginning of the process, it's a part of the process. However, what we do at the Professional Football Association, which I'm a trustee, and other organizations, we're working with the institutions, the FA, the Premier League, to create situations where we can produce proper job opportunities. And that's the most exciting issue at the moment. It's part of a process, but we're making progress. Well, that that is good to hear. And, and, and to close this segment, though, I want to talk about racism just in its current state. Uh, far from being solved, uh, just a couple of stories. Millwell supporters uh, directing a racial uh, chance towards Hung Lee San, an Asian player at Tottenham. A group of Chelsea supporters caught on video pushing a black man off a crowded uh, metro in Paris as fans shouted, we're racist, and that's the way we like it. Monkey chants in Italy. But this has all happened, Garth, within the last two years, and a couple of those instances in 2017. So we're still not there. Well, yeah. Look, I mean... Glenn, are we seriously thinking, you and I, as, you know, mature adults, are we really thinking that we're going to eradicate this, this, this phenomenon in our society? I don't think we're ever going to eradicate it. But what we can do is hopefully reduce it with good dialogue and debate, offer alternatives to the attitudes of some of these people and say, you know, and with education, we offer something else. We change people's minds. We change people's perspectives. I think that's the ideal here. And I think we're making those progresses. But let's not kid ourselves. You are always going to get people from a particular element of society who fear the progress of others. And that is very sad. And maybe with good jobs and good careers, we can remove those fears. But that's what they are. Even in, in, the, in the United States today, there is a, a number of people who are really fearful for their jobs. They're really fearful of strangers and people come who come from other parts of the world because they threaten their positions. What we've got to do is to reassure them that their, their jobs are not under threat and their futures and careers are not under threat and that, and that you know, healthy communication is, 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 is not, you know, a, a threat to their existence. And I think that dialogue is so important. And if we can continue to develop relationships, wherever they might be, we may, we may get a chance of addressing 
some of those terrible issues that, that dog people's attitudes and mindset. Um, racism, basically, is fear. We've got to remove the fear. Is it at all a setback, Garth, when the World Cup is awarded to uh, Russia? I mean, the documentation of of racism and homophobic activity, uh, it, it's out there. It's uh, its real. Mm. Is that a setback? Does that be like, wow, That's it's almost like accepted to hold the greatest event in soccer in a country that uh, yeah. that doesn't seem to take care of that aspect? I understand the question. Yes, it is a setback when you go into regions and you think, my God, it's like going back to the 50s. What's going on here? However, where we are we can be positive and where we can be hopeful is that we have something like sport, football, the World Cup, a tournament that you can transport around the world. And we all know the impact sport can have on people's lives as a tool to bring people together. Now, make no mistake, whatever you think about Vladimir Putin's politics, He is going to open the doors of his country to football-loving people, and he will want to put on a show around the world that showcases his country. This is an opportunity for people all around the world to come together. But as I said earlier in the program, that communication, that connection with people from Iran, from West Africa, from South Africa, from Asia, from Australasia, from Europe, that coming together. And I've been to five of these World Cups during my lifetime. There is nothing more magical than when football-loving people come together and share those moments that 90 minutes of glorious football can bring. Because out of that, you discover people different cultures, different attitudes. And what you do realize at the end of it all, that we're all the same. There's very little that separates us. And I think that's the beauty of the World Cup, being transported around the world. And if Russia, for all their inhibitions and their closed mindset, if we can have four weeks of dialogue with them that we wouldn't ordinarily get, I will take it. And if it comes in the World Cup, then I say bring it on. That's Garth Crooks, who you may want to follow on the BBC. Garth is known UK-wide for his EPL Team of the Week selections, which often create a great deal of debate, he says. I don't know why it is that people feel that we've got to go with the flow. Part of the fun of following this great game is that you, you have the ability to take a view on who you think is the player that has excited you the most during the course of the weekend. But, but it is Garth Crooks' team of the week, not no one else's, and I set the, the benchmark for the discussion. Um, and it's caused quite a lot of controversy here in the UK, but it's great fun and I really enjoy it. Uh, I'm a little mischievous. I do deliberately um, select players who are involved in controversy. Um, Now, I don't want to expose myself, but I do, for example, 
select players or moments. It might be a referee who's made a very, very bad decision surrounding a particular individual. And I will actually hone in on individual because it is a talking point. It is controversy. And let's be honest, us sport-loving fans, whether it's here or stateside, we love controversy and we love our sportsmen and women who are a little bit mercurial, extremely talented, but a little bit extrovert. And I'm no different. The always engaging Garth Crooks here on Soccer City. In a past episode of Soccer City, we explored the benefits of a community-based program called Saturday Night Lights, or SNL. The intent to remove children from the dangers of the streets, providing a safe haven while promoting health through the sport of soccer. Kwame King, he joined us recently to describe some of the projects that he's involved in as a member of City and the Community's Youth Leadership Council. And Kwame came across so well, an effective communicator devoted to his community, that I asked him to head over to East Harlem to talk to some of the kids who come out every week to play the game they love with the friends they cherish. Hi, this is Kwame King, and I'm at SNL on a beautiful Friday evening here in East Harlem. I'm here with Terrence White right now, um, and just introduce yourself, man. Uh, my name is Terrence, and I'm 17, and I've been at SNL going on about two years now. Beautiful. And how does it feel to be here every Friday or Saturday? Well, it feels great personally, and I love to enjoy every moment like it's my last because I get to always learn something new and just an opportunity that's worthwhile. Beautiful. And so as a player here at um, SNL, do you see any difference um, in school that you uh, that you do? Of course, every single day I feel like SNL inspired me to be better and do more because it just gives me a right path and goal to strive for. So what makes you you? Me, I'm just a lot of things. Skillful, I have leader qualities, and most of those things that make me me, I learned right here at SNL and soccer overall. I heard from a little birdie that you're captain of the soccer team. And so, like, as a captain, what do you usually tell to your teammates? For my teammates, all I want to do is just, I just tell them just always keep their heads up and give them a goal to never give up and to just keep on looking forward. Even if we're losing, we don't lose until the, that whistle goes. Nice. And so, the my last question is, if you had to create your own Saturday Night Lights program, what would you want the kids to take out of it? I want the kids to be able to to be able to be proud of who they are and to go home with a smile on their face and never look down on themselves again. Nice. Well, this is it. This is Kwame King. I'm here with Terrence. Thanks, Terrence, so much. Appreciate it, man. You're welcome. What's your name? Faris Hyman. And how old are you, Faris? I'm currently 15. And how long you've come here to SNL? Almost two years now. 
How does it make you feel to be coming here on a Friday and a Saturday night? It's probably one of the best feelings because instead of being home doing nothing, I get to do and play soccer with the friends I love. That's really good. Being here, did you like to get new friends or? Yeah, it's every day you're meeting somebody new that comes into the program. You get to teach them what you know, and then they get to teach you what you didn't know. And who inspires you to play soccer? Um, all of the coaches. But if I had to like pick one, it would be Coach Barry because he's always pushing me to get harder and get better at my playing skills. And how did you get into soccer? Um, into soccer, I into started in eighth grade. Uh, I saw I, I was playing every sport, and I didn't know what I wanted to play. And so I was on a soccer field, and I just I was kicking the ball around. And I was like, I kind of like this sport. So that's how I started. Great. And I know that you did the young leader training two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And how did you? How was your experience? Probably one of the best experiences. Get to knowing. I, I met a lot of new kids. We got to teach them what we knew, and we got coached by Manchester City coaches. They taught us how to be leaders and be very respectful. And we finally learned in the end how to be, be respectful to each other and meet and a lot of new people. All right, thanks so much, Ferris. I yeah. appreciate it, man. All right, bye. What's your name? Giselle Gonzalez. And how long you was coming here at SNL? For about two to three years. And how old are you? Fifteen. What's your favorite part about SNL? Well, it's both playing soccer and hanging around with the girls. Nice. Um, who inspires you the most in life? Well, I guess my mother, because like, she always keeps going no matter what. And if she ever has problems, she always finds a way to solve it. Do you feel like soccer here in SNL helps you in life? Yes, because with soccer, a lot of things can be done. Like, for example, if I want to go and like to be a soccer player, I have to go to the college and stuff like that, and like soccer could get me like a scholarship. Or, to get me, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And um, so, how does it make you feel to be playing here on a Friday and Saturday? It makes me feel good because I usually don't have nothing much to do. I just stay home, be on my phone. But since I exactly I don't have nothing else to do, I come here, play, enjoy the afternoon. And if you had to model something like this would you model it and help other kids as well yes because i know there's a lot of kids out there that actually like to play but like either they they want to learn how to play but they can't so i think this will be a good opportunity that's good do you want to become a soccer player anymore? yeah yeah <laughs> yeah who's your like like favorite player well, I usually watch the boys play because I feel like I learn more with the boys. Mm-hmm. So right now, it's like Ronaldo. <laughs> That's awesome. Real Madrid is your favorite team? Yeah. yeah. All right, cool, cool. Well, thanks, Giselle. I appreciate it a lot. You're welcome. All right, thanks. <laughs> uh, well done, Kwame, and thanks to Terrence, Ferris, and Giselle. You know, Kwame also spoke to one of the mentors for these boys and girls. Her name is Brandy Daniels. And what's your biggest accomplishment as a community coach? My biggest accomplishment as a community coach... I don't think I can state just one. I feel like my biggest accomplishment is coming back each day and watching the same kids come in with a smile and grow as they come to each one of our programs. If you had to change anything about SNL, what would you change? 
Um, I think right now, the space, because we're definitely outgrowing the space that we're in. We have a lot of kids down there, about 40 kids, and they might be teenagers, but they're built as grown adults. <laughs> and <laughs> for them to be in a space that they're in, it comes to being not safe, but we're handling it, and we're still making the magic happen, even in the small space that we have. And last question is... Um, how did you get into soccer? You want the truth? The whole truth and nothing but the truth. <laughs> <laughs> truth was, growing up, my, I have two older brothers, and both older brothers played sports. And I was five years old, four years old, and my parents came to me and said, you can either play baseball or you can play soccer. And baseball's boring, so I picked soccer. <laughs> and here we are today. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you so much, Brandy. I appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, nice debut for uh, Soccer on the Block correspondent Kwame King. And that'll do it for Soccer City, heard each Tuesday, 1 o'clock on WNYE. Hey, be sure to tune in to our next New York City FC broadcast. It'll be Sunday, April 29th, when the Boys in Blue host FC Dallas Airtime, 6.15 p.m. I'm Glenn Crooks. Have a great day, everybody.